You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review's Northern Command. On this fine Friday, we love our Fridays because we work so hard here tirelessly to bring you the one true independent conservative perspective on so many issues. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, I am lying a little bit because I was going to slack off today, uh, get out a couple hours early Friday afternoon to begin my lawn work for the weekend. I uh, lugged back 15 bags of mulch from Lowe's last night, did the trenching last week, but wanted to do the mulching, some other planting, digging, and lo and behold, it's raining for the 14th Friday in a row here. (laughs) That's a little nerdy weather factoid for you there, but um, so here I am working, working again today, and there is so much to talk about. Boy, is there so much to talk about. I want to kind of wrap things up for the week with a lot of loose ends, different issues, and try to blend them together as much as we can do as we always do under a very thematic approach of virtue signaling, false morality, and confused conservatives. How in general we're losing the civilization battles when we don't need to lose them and we can actually win them by harnessing what the left does in a true moral way, but we see the moral high ground to the left all the time in every issue. It's going to take me a little while to get there. I want to first start out with some news of the day to set the table, and you're going to see, counsel, how it is relevant to the case. So we have this morning big economic news coming out. Bureau of Labor Statistics put out the April job numbers and, you know, it was a blockbuster report. 263,000 new jobs created. You look at the household survey, and the unemployment rate went down from 3.8% to 3.6%. Um, so many of us were never even alive to hear that. The last time we reached uh, such a low was 1969. Um, by my count, just 5.8 million people unemployed, meaning people in the employment age population who are looking for a job. And yeah, I mean, that that's the lowest in raw numbers since 2000 or so. And population has grown a lot since then. So that's, that's a pretty astounding number. Um, as we know, productivity report was out 3.6%. GDP for the first quarter, preliminary report 3.2%. Everything is pretty doggone good. Trade deficit, $74 billion. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that, that's that got to be close to a record for a monthly trade deficit. Now, to be clear, that, especially in this case, is a good thing. And I want to be very clear. I've been very consistent on that. I mean, Trump himself has criticized trade deficits, and now he's embracing them. But the reality is, is as I've said before, 
deficits are only a problem if there's a fiscal deficit, not a trade deficit in and of itself. If there's a fiscal deficit, then you could have problems in terms of what that trade deficit represents. It's a good thing for other people to be investing in your productivity if it's real productivity. If instead you have a fiscal deficit and they're investing in your treasuries and debt to service more Democrat dependency and votes, well, then that's a problem. But in and of itself, I mean, look, I have a trade deficit with Lowe's, but I don't have a fiscal deficit with them, so it's not a problem. Okay, Clearly, I have a trade deficit with Lowe's. The better I'm doing, like if I were to be doing better, well, you know, Lowe's is my toy store. That's where I go for toys, adult toys. Um, I would spend more money there on different projects. That's just my thing. Everyone has their thing. And when you're doing better, you're going to have that. So it's actually a good sign. What's not good is the aspect of it where, you know, we have them investing in our treasuries. This is a different story, but this is, this is good. Now, let's just put aside my theory for a moment. This is not relevant to today's discussion. That just in general, as good as the economic growth is, it's not commensurate with the unprecedented job market. Okay, that that's another thing. We've we only had two point nine percent growth last last year, which is okay. But I mean, for for a job market like this, historically, if we had a free market economy, it should be four, five, really six percent for for a job market like nineteen sixty nine. But our economy is so socialist, so even in a boom period, it's an in, it, there, there's jobs, but it's geared towards inefficiencies, market distortions. So that's my criticism of the economy in general, which was, you know, it was a long-term trend before Trump, and that's got to be fixed. But certainly the perception is things are very good. One other just quick note on the numbers, just to be, again, intellectually honest, because I would have said this under Obama. You have to understand, you have to look at several months of BLS statistics. You can't look just one month to month because there's just a lot of weird anomalies. So you have the establishment survey, which is that's, – that's hard data. They get from the industries how many jobs created in the in the industries, and that was a good number. You know, overall two hundred sixty three thousand jobs created. That's a very good number given at given that we're at such a high plateau. You know, if you're recovering just from a recession, you just had a recession. Now you're in the recovery period. Yeah, you'll see four or five hundred thousand jobs created in a month. But but two sixty three is very good for where we're at now because you know it's kind of like um, the analogy I always give is. If you if you're severely overweight, you need to lose a hundred pounds. So that first week or two, you're going to be you know losing eight ten pounds if you have a good diet. But let's say you're pretty much um, you know you're three pounds overweight. Well, that's going to be very hard to lose. So you're not going to see big numbers. Same thing here. So I just want to note that when it comes to the household survey, it's nothing but a poll. And there's a lot of weird anomalies with it, like any poll. So you might say, oh my gosh, unemployment went down from 3.8 to 3.6. The reality is that the labor force participation, the number of people in the labor force, according to this survey, suddenly shrunk by, um, what was it, 640,000? It was a large number. 
646,000. So there's 646,000 more people not in the labor force. And then there's 103,000 fewer people employed, even though the overall population grew by 156,000. But what we consider in the labor force, the pie shrunk. So I'm just telling you that is the reason why it went down from 3.8 to 3.6. So you just have to be honest. Now, look, you know, these numbers we kind of put out in the Obama era when we're six, seven percent unemployment, and we're trying to say, well, maybe we're recovering. The unemployment went down. We're like, well, no, because the labor, you know, forced participation shrunk, so it's actually worse. But when you're this low, clearly you can't deny it's it's a boom period. Now it's not as boomy as I think we could get if we had a free market economy, but it clearly is a boom period. So I don't want to douse water on that. I'm just saying that the same way it's garbage in, garbage out. That do I think 646,000 people just in one month suddenly left the labor force? No. It's it's an anomaly in the in the survey. It's so. But likewise, then the 3.8 going down 3.6 money number that's being bantied about everywhere. That's it, it's still very low. Whatever you know, however you slice it. Anyway, point being, broadly speaking, you can't deny that per the era we're living in with a socialist economy, this is about as good as it gets. So the question you have to ask yourself is this: Why is Trump not doing much better than he is now. Now, look, I I still think it's likely that he'll get reelected, but you know, you look at the polls now; he's losing even to these clowns. Now that that's there's a reason for that. You know, it's a generic, you know, hate Trump type of poll now. If you have a specific nominee and the focus turns to that specific radical leftist nominee, it will change the dynamic. Just like we saw with Hillary, all the pre.、Um, General election polling had Trump losing to everyone, but nonetheless, I think he still should be asking. I mean, gosh, he should be blowing this out. Now, for this discussion, I don't want to focus on Trump. I, I want to focus more on our civilization because I think this would be. You might say, "Well, this is character flaws. If we'd had someone else, it would be more popular." But yes and no. I think you all understand now. That it's not the economy, stupid. It's values. People now vote values because, frankly, despite the socialism, because of technological advances, we live such good lives. Despite the way we complain, that we have the luxury of complaining about values. Now, when I say values, I mean abstract beliefs. I don't mean the way you and I would view moral values. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Values is a very fine line. What is considered moral or not? You have to define that landscape, and if you don't, the prevailing political elites, media, politicians, culture—they'll define it for you. And the people will respond to that, and they will vote their values. That's where we are now in our society. I believe. That's why the. I mean, if you plug this into 30 years ago, it would be a no contest with the economic data. A lot of that's also not just because of technology making life so, you know, hedonistic, 
and so good that we have the luxury, you know, because normally if the economy is good, the alternative of the economy not being so good is devastating. Until fairly recently, you know, in history, people went hungry. Nobody goes hungry anymore. <laughs> we have the most overweight uh, poor people in this country. But people vote their values. And the media will stoke people up about what's moral, and people want to feel good about themselves. The problem we have in this generation is that we've ceded that ground to the left. You know, if you ask people who, who's more moral, who's more into morality, you think, oh, well, the religious right, the left is very secular. Now, again, in our terms, they certainly are. But the irony and the sad irony is that they actually speak to morality, their false sense of it, in our view, but they're trying to appeal to morality much more than we do. And not only that, we agree, when I say we, I mean phony Republicans, phony conservatives, agree to their sense of morality on a given issue, that it's wearing down our political leaders on the so-called right, religious leaders on the so-called religious right, that they're now agreeing to their premises, albeit they don't want to go as far but they lose the moral high ground. There's a reason why Joe Biden has his slogan for his election, for his campaign, make America moral again. You know, you expect all oh, the old religious right, moral majority from the 80s under Reagan. No, our side will never talk like that. Their side talks like that. They speak to the morality of their morality. Immorality. Our side seems to be incapable of speaking to the morality of our supposed moral views, and it not only has its effect on swing voters, but even conservatives have gotten worn down by a false sense of morality that virtue signaling has supplanted biblical values. And that's how true morality in public policy, where you understand the facts what you're responsible for as a nation and as a people, long-term effects, steady version of morality, not three-year-old version of morality. I want more sugar. Well, no, I know that's not good for you. I care about you. I know ultimately that's going to harm you. So as a parent, no. We got, that, that's what it meant to be a conservative. We've lost that. I'm such a good person. I care about all the revolutionaries of every other country. I we need open borders. We need refugees. And and it sounds and I mean you see it in all these so many evangelical leaders, Catholic leaders, Jewish leaders, um, you know, so-called political conservatives, where the left has flooded the zone in defining morality, they've succeeded. And our side almost agrees to it. It's an amazing thought if you think about it. Virtue signaling. Now, again, a lot of this is technology because it used to be common sense would seep in. You'd live your life. Things are quiet. The news cycle was, was slower. With what, what, what social media has done is it's made the left-wing sense. They could flood the zone with imagery, with a half a story Khashoggi, Khashoggi butchered. Um, poor 
immigrants at the border being mistreated. Boom, boom. Freedom fighters in Venezuela. Boom, boom. Right? Just like, you know, and, and do you want to be a moral person? Do you want people to die? Oh, no, no. So so then our side's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, look, we're just, we're just trying to figure things out. And notice I'm one of the few people in this sphere where I'm not just fact-based and very rational, philosophical, but I speak to the morality of our views on debt, on healthcare, on free markets, and certainly on sovereignty, security, civil society. I, I, I almost don't know anyone that does that anymore. The left does it all the time. But that, that's the big problem with our side. And I want to talk about some of the specifics that tie into the news. First of all, just to close the loop on Venezuela yesterday, you know, you're seeing it's petering out, this so-called revolution, because it was really just a show for the American people to get us involved. It's petering out. Because as our guest said yesterday, the bottom line is these people voted for socialism. Unfortunately, the Bolivarian revolution is still very much alive there. If you would poll people, how many of these people still love Chavez, but they just hate Maduro. In other words, Maduro is just... Picture Chavez being Bill Clinton and Maduro being Hillary Clinton. You know, for there, there's two reasons why they love Chavez over... um, What's his name? Over Maduro. It's It's... Practical, and it's also personality. So, you know, at the personality end, obviously, you know, Chavez was a paratrooper. He was, um, you know, very well liked. Maduro was a bus driver. Chavez had charisma. Maduro can't talk himself out of a plastic bag. Um, Chavez... He built the oil industry there. So he was able to build a society off of freebies. Now that's running dry. So it's also the practical thing that Maduro is coming after him. It's like, you know, Louis XV, after me, the deluge. Well, now you're having the deluge there, the hangover from socialism. So now, you know, it's falling in Maduro's lap. But is it that they're yearning to be free? I'm sure there's some people there. But. By and large, they they just they're unhappy that the freebies ran out. But I don't know if they've learned the lesson of socialism. And that's what I'm scared about America becoming like that. That we're gonna get to the point where it's not just that we lost people on the economy and the practicality of the dollars and cents, but we lost them on values. A lot of people are hoping, like, look, okay, you know what? If we can't win now, let's hope that things just crash. Healthcare crashes. The debt crashes. Entitlements crash. The welfare crashes. And we're going to learn the hard way to get back to the Constitution. But no, what could just happen is they just – people protest – not, okay, we need conservative policies. They protest because the freebies ran out. We had, they addressed the symptom, not the cause. And that's my concern that we have to worry about here, that you can no longer win people in economic news because you lost the values. We don't speak to the morality 
of true capitalism. You hear it all the time on healthcare. We speak to the morality of it. You know, you look at the the left. You poor people are dying. They're not getting their proper health care. You're going to take the health care out of their mouths and let them die. Medicaid. And our guy's like, no, no, no. We're, we're not cutting Medicaid. No, you don't understand. We, we, we allocated in uh, uh, Trump's budget more. more. Uh, please don't, don't, don't hurt me. Instead, we don't say, you USOBs, those wealthy insurance companies and the health care conglomerates, Guess what lines their pockets? Your very policies cause that. But the left is so good at parachuting in and speaking to the morality of their solutions when often they cause the problem and it's their very solution that's going to aggravate it. And But we don't make that case to people, so we just look at the symptom. Do you want people to die without access to health care? That's how they frame it. And our side agrees to that framing, and then you lost the argument. It's not just because it's more prudent and smarter. We believe in what we do here in the show on healthcare because we know in the long run, fewer people will die as a result of it. You know, the Humana CEO recently said he'd be okay with Medicare for all. You know why? You know why? Because news came out they're making record profits off of Medicare, Medicare Advantage. So, of course, they want to expand that for the rest of the population. It's a joke. Meanwhile, what does this do to health care? What does it do to health care? Doctors are becoming overworked robots, and the burnout is jumping dramatically. According to researchers at the University of California, Riverside School of Medicine, Physician burnout increased from 45.5% to 54.4% between 2011 and 2014. That was barely when Obamacare started. I'd love to know what it is now. There's no traditional doctor-patient relationship anymore. There are a bunch of stewards for the government and the insurance cartel, which is one of the same. That's what we don't realize. All those silver-haired really good American specialists that you can't find anywhere else in the world in their 60s who are going to retire soon, are we replacing them? That's the real healthcare crisis. We talk about insurance and coverage and the cost, but the quality of care. That's what happens when you have a society built on Medicare and Medicaid as the only options. Anyway, I want to talk about healthcare more another time. This is quite a long introduction to the main point, but I wanted to use this to get to immigration. This is how you have it, where you have even our side and evangelical leaders and all these people all into the legals and we have to care about the families and they don't give a damn about Americans, how Americans are harmed. It's all about because the media seizes and defines morality. And you and I know we care on a personal level for everyone. But we know that the world is not a utopia. To the extent you want to fix every imperfection with other places, I'll make you feel like dirt and I'll show you how even you're not doing enough. There's billions of people living in conditions health-wise, fiscally, security-wise that, that we would call it appalling. There's nothing we can do but be a beacon for our own people and pray for them. 
And in general, because of capitalism, we are headed on a global trajectory that's better. Fewer people are sick or living in poverty than ever before. But God created the world that way. And he wants us to perfect that by doing charitable acts on a personal level. But when you destroy your country at a public policy level, your job is to care about your people. I say this all the time as a head of a household. I, I, I can't dump my house to go and try to feel bad for the Bloods and the Crips. I got to just put a rope or put a you know, security perimeter around that like, hey, I don't know how to solve your problems, but I got to make sure we're safe. You know, whenever you're driving with your family into an area, there's homeless people. Of course you feel bad for them. But you just, you know, are you going to get out of the car and start dealing with them? I mean, you don't know who's going to be a, a problem and you, know, you, just, you just can't do that. And, and that's the same way on a, on a national level as a government representing your people. It's not our job to sort out who will come and be a loving immigrant that, that won't be um, a danger, much less a public charge. We have to shut it off. And then, of course, all of, the, all of the deleterious effects to the migrants themselves as a result of the cartels and the smugglers that we empower will be shut down. But A, you have a moral obligation to care for your own people as your own government. And then if you understood proper public policy, you'd understand even for the foreign nationals, on net, in the long run, this is the better thing to do. We can't. Everything is net in life. We cannot do perfect good. That's for God. We can only do justice. The book of Deuteronomy is called the book of justice many times, not the book of good. It often says, do good and do justice. Good is in the next world. Justice is in this world. That's at least our tradition reading it. But um, there's the day of pure good, which is the next world. This is what's wearing down our people on immigration and jailbreak. When I say our people, I think our people are still clear. It's the elites, every conservative think tank, every conservative funder. It's all about, oh my gosh, don't you want to rehabilitate? And again, if this world were, would be a Petri dish and you wouldn't have to worry about collateral damage, yes, there's a certain percentage if you worked at it, you could probably rehabilitate but the leniencies are already built into the system. Even when we were at peak incarceration in 2005, we still had an under-incarceration problem on net. We still, the clearance rate of murders and rapes and robberies was still below 50%. We would never arrest. And then the ones we did, how many we couldn't charge, and the ones we charged, how many we couldn't sentence, and the ones we sentenced, how many were under-sentenced and got out way too early. I'm not bothered by that. What liberals do is they seize in a vacuum, a downstream symptom of something, which is usually a broader symptom of their problem. I mean, think about it. If you had my system of justice in this, gov- in this country, you'd actually have fewer people incarcerated because it would, it would be so clear there would be such a deterrent. Now, the people that challenge it, the few, you, you do have to be tough. But the hope would be a, certainly it's to care about the law-abiding people. You've got to protect them. That is your job. 
But also, the truth be told, even the things you guys care about, which I care about too on a personal level, you'd have fewer of those problems because you would deter it. It's the same thing with our border. You know, just just one note there on um, jailbreak. This is big news. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. Um, one of our listeners sent this to me. By the way, terrific, terrific insights some of you have um, have sent me. That, um, where is this? I'm just trying to uh, pull this up here. One of the big conservative donors in Texas of jailbreak um, is uh, was indicted on tax charges. Where is this? Dennis Calabris, a top Dick Army operative who helped lay the groundwork for criminal justice reform, now awaits sentencing. It's from the Daily Beast. He basically admitted to a bunch of false um, filing false tax returns, um, and you know, with this Cayman Islands scam that's very common. Now, mind you, that the irony is that most of the jailbreak is for the cartel, transnational gang, drug traffickers who commit all this other crime and are the worst human beings around. It's not even the white collar stuff that's so much reaping the windfall of the leniencies, but. I just thought you should know that one of the driving forces behind jailbreak that is so moral, and not just the libertarians like Dick Army's people, but even all these you know, so-called religious leaders are getting so involved in it because they've lost their sense of morality, and they've agreed to the left sense of morality rather than the biblical morality of justice. They've been bought into this. Because the religion now is virtue signaling, where the media grabs one thing in a vacuum. Look at this guy sitting in jail. Look at Khashoggi. Look at this. You know, an immigrant died in in, in DHS's custody. And like, well, what do you mean? Like, no, it's our open border policies that incentivized hundreds upon hundreds of thousands to come under the worst circumstances in the worst terrain. It's actually a miracle that only four people have died during this entire saga. I mean, just just statistically of natural causes, you're going to have people dying, especially when you have so many young kids come. Um, our government does everything they can, too much, expending resources for them, not for our people. And yet, they blame it on that. We know the name of every illegal alien who breaks into our country and dies of natural causes being blamed on us. But none of us will know about true morality. The thousands upon thousands of Americans that are killed, the dozens of people, yes, dozens every week that you will never know about, killed by illegal aliens, completely avoidable if we had the right policies in place that address the foundational obligations of a federal government. These people would never be here. And they, and they wouldn't be dead. And it's not just like, oh, you know, we have foreign nationals that are killing people, you know, the same way Americans are. There are certain pervasive cultures among the criminal aliens coming in. And guess what? Guess what? 
the drunk driving, the DUIs. Do you know how many are killed? And no one knows about it. Because no one has the true morality and public policy to study it and vet it out. So all these religious organizations, oh, I care so much. I have a story I'm going to link to in show notes out today. Two more Americans in California died just over this past weekend within 24 hours of each other, two separate locations. One was in um, Riverside County in the, in, the, uh, in the south. One was uh, near Fresno in the north near San Francisco. Killed by illegal aliens, drunk drivers. And I didn't put this in the article, but I will tell you. I, I got the feeling that there's so much more of this never being reported. They never report it. All these drunk driving accidents you hear. So I just Googled cold like, you know, fatality DUI arrested. So, you know, where you have like an arrest, you, you will come up a, a case of someone arrested for a DUI that led to a death. I'm not even getting into the endless cases of People, thankfully, not getting killed, but their cars are, are totaled and illegals don't have insurance and all that damage to Americans that goes on, on – that is endless. But even fatalities, which are more – you know, which are less common. And um, basically – basically, I Googled it cold. So I did Google News, and just in the month of April and just over this past week, all the cases that came up, almost like the top ones, wound up being illegals. And there's a bunch of more, bunch more, whether in California or elsewhere. And then a bunch of, that's just one class of crime, DUI fatalities, tons of other stuff, the sexual assaults. There's this case in Ohio, this guy was doing horrible things to this 11-year-old, immigrant-sounding names. Now, Let someone say, oh my gosh, Daniel, you're, you're a racist. You're assuming every guy's – no, actually I'm being charitable because I'm assuming that most legal immigrants – now we do have notorious problems with certain classes of legal immigrants, but these still are vetted for the most part – You know, don't have more of a proclivity, let's say, for drunk driving than Americans. But illegals, that whole culture of criminality, they certainly do. So if I see a Hispanic-sounding name and a DUI fatality, I'm going to assume – I'm going to, and I can't assume. I can't publish it. You, know, you have to verify that. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But that's why I'm going to be suspicious that it was an illegal. So I looked at these two stories, and, um, and uh, just getting, getting this article out here. Looking at these two stories, and not a single local media report mentioned the status of the offender, the alleged, uh, you know, guy being charged charged for uh, manslaughter, and none of them mentioned an ICE detainer. So until now, what I would do is I'd find articles with ICE detainers and then I'd contact ICE and try to get more background, like were there priors? Was the guy previously deported? Was this a sanctuary case? Yada, yada. Was the guy a UAC? Did he have DACA status? But I never even bothered to vet that if, I figured if the local reporters would have, you know, they would report if, and I understand that, you know, they're going to be reluctant to, 
themselves research his immigration status. But if there is an ICE detainer, they would report on that, and then that would be the giveaway. But there was no mention of an ICE detainer. And in fact, in one of the cases, there was one reporter who broached the issue and said there are some questions raised about the guy's citizenship, but um, you know, ICE would have put a detainer on, and it appears not to be one, so he's not a not an illegal. Well, long story short, it took a couple days, but ICE in California got back to me. Both of these people are illegal aliens. Raul Gulliver and Margaret Abudawood are two more Americans that were killed within hours of each other from illegal alien drunk drivers, and you will never know their names. And all these phony people that refuse to speak the true morality and think they're moral don't give a darn. And you'll never know about it. And this, I, what I'm trying to tell you, this was a cold Google search I did. And I found two more Americans within 24 hours killed in one state from one form of criminality of illegal aliens. A very common one. I tell you this all the time. When we see ICE statistics that more or less every reoccurring year, they apprehend aliens cumulatively, collectively responsible for 2,000 homicides. And this is every year. And most of them are charges. Like 85% are, I'm sorry, are convictions. 15% or so are arrests. Do you understand? On a given year, there are only 9,500 people arrested for homicide, according to FBI Uniform Crime Statistics. How many people um, convicted? I don't have that number. I'm trying to get it. I don't know if it exists, but it certainly would be much less than that. Much less than that. But here we are. Just... Three and a half to four percent of the population. Now, the truth be told, if you use what's more accurate numbers, there probably are a greater share of the population, but still, still, it's unbelievable. And again, this is all avoidable. I cannot avoid all American deaths, although I will tell you, if you had my sort of criminal justice system in general, and every case beyond the shadow of a doubt of first degree murder, they got the death penalty within a year. Come back to me then, but let's put that aside. Where is their morality on this? And this is our responsibility. Roald Gulliver was a 34-year-old in Riverside County. He was riding his bike Saturday morning when he was struck head-on by a pickup truck by Hector Manuel Polanco, 32-year-old illegal from Mexico. He was driving drunk. Ice placed a detainer on him. And this is a real sad one in Fairfield, California. 31-year-old Arnulfo Santos Reyes, a previously deported illegal alien from Mexico, ran a red light and crashed into a Toyota Sienna occupied by three people. It's, it's hard to tell. It appears to be like a middle-aged couple with their 85-year-old mother, but I'm not sure about that, the relationship. But um, 85-year-old Margaret Abudawood was killed. Imagine living 85 years old, ripe old age. I don't know if she was sick or not. She might not have been. 
and you're cut down by someone who should never be in this country, and if not for the magnets against our laws, he would unlikely be here. And the two others were severely injured. He was driving while drunk and driving while intoxicated with drugs. He had a prior criminal history that I don't have access to. And he was driving without a license. According to my ICE context, this was the one, by the way, that that it it was reported in this, um, whatever you call it, this uh, Salona County Daily Republic that, you know, the guy is not an illegal. Well, he is. ICE deported him in, um, where is this, in 2013. Or no, he was apprehended in 2013, but he ran away and absconded. ICE got him in 2015 and deported him. Um, or no, they removed him in 2017, October 5th, 2017. And then he came back at some point because all these moral people who think that our border patrol and our military needs to be expended towards processing and managing the invasion rather than deterring it so they can't patrol. So guess what happens? All the criminals have free reign to come back in. That's the big story. A, there's the problem that we don't deport, that we don't have a system in place where every single, I mean, everyone should agree to this, that even if you're, for illegal immigration, but certainly those that are arrested for a crime should be deported immediately. They're not, but even the ones that ICE gets a hold of, guess what? Because our border patrol has essentially been abolished, they have a free reign to come back in. This is the sense of morality that so many phony conservative religious leaders can't speak to because they're too dumb or ignorant of both policy and biblical values to express it. But I want to segue this into what the Trump administration is doing on the border. Some of what might be positive signs, and we have to see, but until now, they've been too much beating around the edges, not speaking to this degree of morality and agreeing to the morality of treating the symptoms of the left's premise of humanitarianism for illegals rather than true humanitarianism for Americans, which ultimately would solve the humanitarianism for a lot of other people as well. And that's as follows. So we have our article out from yesterday. We're going to link to in show notes on the three elements in Trump's directive and how it's kind of just like too little too late. It's slowing down the fanning of the flames rather than dousing them. Yeah, we're going to charge a fee. We're going to try to find some mythical way of adjudicating the cases within 180 days without changing policies. And, you know, we're going to stop giving them work permits. You know, unbelievable thing. And even then, by the way, it's just the fact that we're going to direct DHS and the Attorney General General to write a regulation to stop issuing work permits. I'm here to tell you, you understand that not only is it not the law, but Obama didn't even write a reg doing that. It was just internal ICE policy that they would, as part of catch and release, they would give them work permits. So you just stopped doing it, and you had two years to do that. But whatevs. But again, I'm saying even that, it's not clear that they're doing it yet. Um, so we have our piece on that and what, what we should be doing. I have eight more kind of 
small little steps that are just part of defend, deter, demagnetize, or deter, defend, demagnetize my uh, magnum opus plan that I put out a couple weeks ago. But one of the other things they, they're doing, which you would think on the surface sounds like a better thing, really also comes from a very problematic sense of morality and priorities. And it really cuts to the core element of today's show. So you're seeing a lot of announcements that Border Patrol, CBP, ICE, they're all orchestrating this new campaign to swab everyone with a DNA test that comes in with children, and they do the children and the parents. And basically, within, what is it, like 36 hours or something, they're going to get back the results. And they're going to clamp down on all the fraud. There were like a thousand known fake families. And a lot of you might think, well, this sounds great. This is good. They're finally getting tough. But if you really think about the philosophy behind it, it further countenances this notion, this premise, that it's all about their families, helping out their families, treating one symptom. Oh, there's false families. Let's get rid of the bad actors. But we lose sight of what about protecting Americans? It's the same thing with the healthcare. Let's make sure they don't die. Let's treat them. Well, how about making sure they don't spread diseases to Americans? And of course, as a matter of morality, we care about everyone. As a matter of public policy, your responsibility is only Americans. But to the extent we can, we want to help anyone we can. But the way to help everyone, but first and foremost Americans, but then everyone else, children being stolen, is to shut down the migration. To say we're not taking any asylum claims until we fix things. Then you don't have to worry about empowering a smuggling organization to steal kids because nobody could come here and they'll be turned back or sent home in an an airlift. But instead, we're kind of continuing this business, albeit we're nibbling around the edges. So let's say there's 50 deleterious cascading effects of this open border. So, and one of them being we're going to, that, that they're being encouraged to steal kids in Mexico and Central America. So we're we're going to treat that. We're going to we're going to stop the fraudulent. We're going to vet out to see who's real and who's not. Well, there's nothing to vet. None of them belong here. If you believe that none of them are real asylees, which this administration is supposed to believe, then shut it all down. This was my first thought, but it's even stronger than that. Jason Jones, our resident expert on the cartels, um career Texas Ranger, uh, coordinated anti-smuggling, uh, anti-cartel activities at the border for years with uh, DPS's division on, on uh, counterintelligence. Uh, I'm sorry, intelligence and counterterrorism. So he calls me up yesterday all in a tizzy, and he's like, you know, he said, you'd be shocked at how these crime labs in America are pissed off. It takes a year and a half to two years to get justice for Americans, victims of murder, rapists, in order to get back DNA samples. You mean to tell me they suddenly have a pot of money and resources to do this for illegal alien kids? And I said to him at first, well, they're kind of doing it for us. I mean, it's not doing it for the illegals. They're trying to prosecute them. 
But then it touched on me he was right. We are doing it for them. Because, again, if we're doing it for Americans and we're doing it to get tough, the better way of dealing with this is just to shut it down. But again, we don't speak to that morality. So we'll just pick a talking point that we feel aligns with the left's sense of morality and we'll kind of channel it in a conservative way. But it's dumb. And this is what bothers me. Like There are some good signs that they're slowly doing the lower level things that I requested. And I think that's progress and I want to take yes for an answer. But it's still unclear, those lower-level things, are they headed into deter, defend, demagnetize, or just as a more efficient way of doing catch and release? Which is why I believe very strongly, even though I keep writing about the rocket docket and tent cities and having border agents you know, immediately turn screen out and turn down um, asylum and all this stuff, that's all secondary to an 1182F shutoff. And again, ironically, all this stuff they're doing, right? So they are building, they have two tent cities, one in eastern Texas, one in western Texas, 500 capacity per piece. They need a little bit more. Maybe they are building more. And they're also, it was announced that they are training Border Patrol to do credible fear interviews. So those two elements could be good, but again, are you is the assumption that you're going to immediately turn them all down, do it immediately, and the tent cities are just going to be a temporary holding for a couple days in order to get them out in airlifts? Or is it just another way of dealing with the backlog so you could have a more orderly catch and release? I don't know yet. But either way, any sane government based on all these effects, would use them as talking points to shut it down completely. Think about it. Trump randomly shut off immigration from six countries, mainly Islamic countries. And it was pretty random. I mean, we, it, it, I, I fully support it, and we needed to do it. We need to do more than that, shut off from more countries. But, you know, it came out of the blue right after he was elected. It, you know, we, we, we've been bringing people in there, unfortunately, for 20, 30 years. There was nothing imminent. But nonetheless, he's like, we got to shut this down until we know what the heck is going on. And we can vet people. And the Supreme Court totally upheld that. I mean, this, by a factor of a million, is imminent, urgent for 50 reasons. One of them being the stealing of foreign kids, but certainly all the deleterious effects on Americans that Trump could speak for two hours straight and not even exhaust 5% of the talking points on this issue of detrimental. And then at least if you're going to submit yourself to the courts as supremacists, he should have started this clock a year ago and we could have had a ruling on this already from the Supreme Court. Instead, they're going to challenge the tent cities. They're going to challenge the fact that you allow border patrol. Each little thing. My whole point was when you have the big enchilada, and then you also do these things as an aside, a as as a you know plan B, but also as a way of enforcing the shutoff. Because you know if they do come and you don't want to turn them back, really we should turn them back to at least hold them to immediately either voluntarily depart or or have an airlift. That's what they need to be doing. But again, notice how 
at least until now, but you know, these two other developments are positive with the Border Patrol agents being empowered to vet credible fear claims. And the 10 cities is, is somewhat positive, and we'll see what happens. But until now, the morality is all about what's good for the illegals and not for Americans. And ironically, when you do that, it's good for nobody. That's what we always understand as conservatives. We look at the full picture, just like on fiscal policy. We understand as conservatives that, you know, sugar highs aren't good. Subsidies and dependency and market distortions, they ultimately hurt everyone. Not just because the Constitution says, you know, it's unconstitutional governance, but also we do believe that this is the way to spread the most and the fairest prosperity to everyone. We believe in that. What I find amazing about so many even like pseudo-conservatives, religious leaders, again, taxation is enough of a Republican, conservative issue that it's so embedded in people. They all, usually anyone who calls themselves someone of a conservative understands that. Yeah, your socialism is bad, redistribution of wealth. I understand. Don't raise taxes. It's going to harm. You're not going to help people. Most people who call themselves conservatives in leadership positions understand that, or at least on paper articulate that. Somehow when it comes to a foreign population that we're not responsible, they all of a sudden lose their morals. What do you mean? We have to care for those people. Like, Dan and I are so cruel. Like, well, what do you mean? Are you cruel? I mean, come on. You know, the wealthy in this country have so much money. You're not willing to pay a little bit more taxes for all the poor we have, our own American citizens who are poor? No, Daniel, that's socialism. But then when you extrapolate that to a impoverished population, suddenly everyone gets all wee-weed up. They just can't control themselves. Impoverished foreign population. The bottom line is, until recently, we always understood the morality of sovereignty of security, whether it's national security, domestic criminal justice. We understood the just laws of war. If it's not in our interest, then don't engage in war. But if you believe it is, then you got to do it as swiftly and as strongly, categorically as possible to end it as quickly. First and foremost, because your obligation as a nation is to protect your own citizens and warfare, your own soldiers. But then also by extension, you know, the quicker you root out the evil, the fewer you know collateral damage in, of civilians of other countries will be hurt or harmed. Okay, so you know that's that's the story here, and um, I I just feel like this whole DNA thing. Yes, yes, we have to make sure they're not stealing babies. Well. No, that's a talking point, one of many, to therefore shut off the entire thing. And guess what? They won't be stealing babies then. Keep in mind, especially the family units. They don't have the wherewithal and the ability, like the single adults, to keep coming back. They're coming because we're extending the welcome mat. If we had slammed the door shut, they, they wouldn't come. It's just obvious. The criminal elements that keep coming back, you'll have. 
But then our border patrol will be able to use 100% of its resources to do that. And I would argue you go after the source, have the military, then go after the smuggler and cartel organizations, and you know, you're know you done. Protect our border. So um, I, I just – it's this sense of morality that somehow it has to be whatever the media – Whatever you could harness an imagery of children or other people. But sometimes the most moral thing, often the most moral thing, is not sexy in today's virtue signaling media. You have to be smart about it. Just like with Venezuela. You got to be smart. The other article I have out today is Afghanistan. So you have this special inspector general report that the government is now telling them... Um, actually, uh, we're no longer going to provide the inspector general with the details of how many um, districts are being held by the, quote, Afghani government because uh, it's, not, it's not the best metric, even though General John Nicholson, the commanding general in Afghanistan just 15 months ago, said it was the best metric. Um, but there's another thing in that report. There's another thing in that report. So, we've brought, um, we have brought, unbelievably, a number of hundreds, if not thousands, of Afghanis from the military, Afghani military security forces to train them. To train them on our shores. So in addition to, or maybe it's part of the sum, but we, we in general, we've brought at least 90,000 Afghani immigrants to our shores as a result of the war. You know, like we were attacked here because of immigration and we, we'd had stupid immigration laws. Afghanistan had nothing to do with it, by the way. It was, it was immigration. It was Muslim Brotherhood networks in America. It's an FBI issue. It's a homeland issue. It's an investigative issue that we never dealt with. It's an immigration issue in the future to shut it off investigative in terms of what we've already unfortunately brought in and in terms of foreign policy it's the soft power terror funding terror finance it was hatched in saudi arabia and iran it was not hatched in afghanistan that just happened to be because it was a lawless sand dunes you happened to have that was just the place where they trained of course we committed suicide as a nation. It was very frustrating. There really wasn't much for us to do other than take care of our homeland. But nonetheless, I think we all understand that there's a need for retribution. We had no problem as, as retribution saying, hey, we have to have a target. Really, we should have went after Iran back then because they attacked us so many other times and they did fund and harbor this. But, okay, you want to blow up, try out all your weapons of war in Afghanistan? Do it. Lovely, great, do it, and then leave. Instead, where's our sense of morality? No, we have to rebuild. We have to own it, get our soldiers killed doing it, and meanwhile, get more civilians killed too, ultimately. So we've embarked on this 18-year mission where there's no end in sight, where we now have literally the first, there are the first soldiers we now have serving there now, that were born after 9-11, children of those who originally served. That's how long it's been going on. 
2,400 lives, Americans dead, 20,000 wounded, including many very seriously incapacitated. Who knows how many permanently disabled from PTSD and things like that. The official tab is something like $864 billion, but that doesn't include all the VA costs. That's a direct military and reconstruction cost. Reconstruction officially has been $133 billion for the Afghani government, the Afghani military. Many of them are a bunch of pedophiles, Islamists, indistinguishable from the Taliban. It's all tribal. Nothing to show for it but bringing in 90,000 Afghani migrants. You know, we have to go over there so they don't come here, but they could only come here if we bring them here and we go there so we could bring them here. That That's our government. So among them, we had these programs to train with Army as well, but the, the, what I'm talking about now is Air Force to train their security forces in the use of certain things. So these were light combat aircraft um, that we're training them to serve on and to fly at fourth, at a, ba- a base in Fort Worth, Texas. According to the Inspector General Report, page 95 of the report, 40% of those we brought in went AWOL, meaning they disappeared into our country. The re- they disbanded the program and they returned the, the rest of them. Well, the question is, what happened to the rest of them? So I have a media inquiry as we speak into ICE, and I asked them, I said, look, I understand this is you know, at its core DOD issue, but I just want to know, were you guys, have you apprehended, tracked down the guys who went AWOL? Um, were you tasked, tasked with doing that? And if so, could you tell me how many you caught and how many remain? So I'll let you know what I hear. But do you understand how screwed up our morals are? We don't do anyone good when we do this. Now, I want to end with a point from one of our listeners. We have such a terrific audience, so well-educated, so smart. When I say educated, I don't mean like you know formal uh, education, how much of it they have or not. I mean smart, just on the ball. Sometimes you guys send me stories I myself haven't seen, and it's very helpful. And um, one of our listeners, Fred, just so you know, this is I'm ripping off a line of yours from the email right into my article. But there was a Fox News report yesterday on this elite, elite task force, observe, detect, identify, neutralize, where it's just this real complex interwoven task force of drones, fixed wing intelligence, aircraft, helicopters, Apaches, coordinating real time feeds to analyze um Censored data of whoever crosses certain mountainous areas and the drug. It's it's mainly counter narcotic stuff, and to find and destroy enemy targets in 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 the mountains. And it's been described as quote extremely active and successful, meaning not that the overall mission in Afghanistan is successful because it's a dumpster fire. We can't put Kabul and the provinces together in the warfare, but you could pick a certain line and we could draw a defensive line in the sand and defend that line. We could do strike and maneuver. I've always said that. We have better weapons of war than ever before. We're very good at that. We could do that if we're doing it. Now, unfortunately, it's like one area in a broader dumpster fire that we shouldn't be wasting our time with. So Fred sends me this article. I I didn't see it myself. And he had had an amazing line. And he, he says the following. In an email, seems like a shame they have to go all the way to Afghanistan to do that stuff. Hmm. 
Where else might there be a mission just waiting for Task Force ODIN? Any ideas? Rugged terrain, remote international borders, paramilitary militias, narco-terrorists? Nope, I'm drawing a blank. Well, if you think of anywhere, please let the Pentagon know. And it was just so telling. Not that we need even a task force of 125 people in this complex. If we could do this there, we our own border. I mean, we could stop anything from crossing. All these smuggler groups that have gotten hundreds, if not thousands, of previously deported people that have come back to kill Americans. That is why we have a military. And here's the dirty little secret. We're in Afghanistan forever and the Middle East forever because of the military industrial complex. They need war toys to sell. But you know what? We could have, they could have their cake and eat it too and defend America to boot if we used it to create a buffer zone in Mexico. If we used it to project our power in Latin America like yesterday's show in a responsible way to build up our bases and build up our deterrence against Russia and China in our own backyard. Thinking strategically, America first is the moral thing to do, certainly from a public policy standpoint, but morally in absolute terms as well for everyone. A strong America, a strong sovereign America as a beacon of life for everyone is the only way to bring prosperity to everyone. By inexorably marching on the path to Islamists being empowered and Russia and China taking over the world, believe me, all your virtue signaling events will only get a lot worse. Your sense of morality will go out the window. Because morality has to be rooted in biblical values. It's immoral to be stupid and uninformed and opine on issues you have no business opining on. Look, in my religion, it's not my place to call people fake Christians, but you know exactly the type of leaders and organizations I'm talking about. Certainly the Jewish groups are, are bankrupt as, as anything. These formal groups putting out all these statements on the issues that they have no idea what they're talking about. And if they only knew they'd realize that their policies that they're advocating for are the cause of this misery. Same way the po on domestic policy, the policies they advocate for created this monopoly, this hellish venture socialist monopoly in healthcare that harms the American consumer, harms doctors, harms everyone. We need to speak to the morality of our issues. That's one of our goals headed into next couple of weeks. Anyway, I still left a lot on the table. The show always goes by quicker than I wanted to. So we'll have to save some other stories for next week. But I really am very proud of what we've been able to accomplish this week. Very productive week. Lots of good information. Lots of good help from you, the listener. Keep it going. Enjoy your weekend. Let's have some good... Uh, Good uh, mental health days. I certainly need them. And we'll do it same place, same time, next week on Monday. Thank you all for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.